Real quick, before we get into the show, I wanted to share a new service called Getita that Ken and I have been using that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription, and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A, and enter promo code FTM400. That's FTM for firing the man 400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission free. How much money does Amazon owe you? People like picking their own pumpkins. From an input, we spent significantly less time not even picking the pumpkins. We would let people go out and pick their own pumpkins and pay the same price for the experience. (laughs) And you see this with like Christmas trees where people will go and they'll cut down their own Christmas tree. That guy who's running that farm, the Christmas tree farm, that's a smart business decision. And so, you know, the lesson here is, uh, you know, thinking creatively can earn you more profit. A lot of the equipment that we worked with was, it wasn't maintained properly. And that's a liability to a company. And so that's really like, I'm always kind of like, well, there's little things you can do to maintain equipment, whether it's your laptop or whether it's a steamroller, you should be doing those maintenance to decrease liability and exposure to the company. So... Welcome everyone to the Firing the Man podcast, a show for anyone who wants to be their own boss. If you sit in a cubicle every day and know you are capable of more, then join us. This show will help you build a business and grow your passive income streams in just a few short hours per day. And now your hosts, serial entrepreneurs, David Schomer and Ken Wilson. Welcome, everyone, to the Firing the Man podcast. On today's episode, we dive deep into the jobs that Ken and I have had that have helped shape us into the businessmen we are today. Stay tuned to hear about Ken doing asphalt, cutting grass, and myself selling pumpkins, power washing, all kinds of jobs. So in total, we're going to cover 11 jobs that we have had, all non-e-commerce related. So Ken, welcome. How are you doing? David, I'm doing excellent. Thanks for asking. And, uh, you know, excited to be in the studio today. We're, you know, it's going to be story time today <laughs> and which is always fun. Who doesn't love a good story? Right. And so we're going to share with the audience some of our past jobs. What were they? Were they good jobs, bad jobs? What we learned out of them and kind of how we've taken those lessons learned and, and are applying them in our businesses now. And so, yeah, excited today to uh, share that with everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Ken, what was the first job that you had that helped shape you into the businessman you are today? Yeah, absolutely. We'll kick it off. So I'm going to skip around on my list a little bit here. And so this is one of the first jobs that I really remember showing up to and getting paid for my time. And so I, I was, uh, I did this on across two summers. I was 14 and 15. So the summer when I was 14 and 15 and I lived, uh, I grew up in a rural community. And so not very, not very big town. There was literally one road that went through the entire town. And on that road, there was a peach side stand or a roadside stand that sold, uh, you know, peaches, apples, produce, right? And so, uh, the, the old man that ran that, his name was Emil. And he was, I don't know at the time I was 14 or 15. I'm going to assume he was probably approaching 80. He was an elderly man. He was very wealthy. He owned a lot of real, rental real estate. And so I was walking by and he asked me, do you want a job? And I was actually going to the arcade to, you know, play video games. Like, yeah, yeah, what, you know, and so I started working for him and, you know, and my job was to pack peaches and, you know, I believe we sold peaches, nectarines, 
some apples depending on you know what season it was and yeah that's and he you know he sat in the chair he chewed tobacco so he would sit in his like little rocker chair there and chew tobacco and and uh, customers would pull up and so this it was a roadside stand with like a little gravel parking lot you know so as as you're driving by got a big sign you know we had a refrigeration truck sitting there and people would pull in, come over, and it was my job. I had a, I had like a little, it was almost like an apron. It had the little money belt on there. I was, I was, I was big time. I was like, yeah. So they would, you know, come up. What do you got? You know, we have peaches, nectarines, and so they would buy, you know, whatever they wanted. And uh, yeah, it was a really cool job. So a couple of the lessons learned. So I, well, I learned to drive a truck, and so not to, you know, I don't know where Amel is now, not to get him in trouble or anything, but at 14, I was driving that refrigeration truck from actually Missouri into Illinois to the orchards and picking up products, cases, and so I learned how to drive a box truck, which was, at the time, I was like, yeah, don't tell anyone, but I'll drive it, and so that was really cool, and the other thing was... I was paid in partly in peaches. And so it was kind of a weird deal. He, and, and he would say, okay, I'm going to pay you. I, I can't remember exactly. It was probably at the time, probably three bucks, four bucks an hour. But then he also said, well, if you want to take some peaches home, we can deduct that and I'll give you a discount. And so I'm like, I really love peaches. I'm like, okay. And so it's kind of this bartering thing. You don't really see that much anymore, but I did that. And so some of the stuff that I learned in this job, uh, customer service, people would come up and this was my first ever job like interacting with, uh, you know, the public coming in. And so I would exchange money. How are you doing? You know, how's your day? I really kind of like cut my teeth on customer service there. And so that was, it was very interesting as well as uh, upsells. So after a few weeks working there, actually probably a few days, and was like, well, you know, when we had different size bags, right? And so we had like a half a I think it was a pack, half a pack, a full pack, and then a big basket. And so each of them had different prices. And so, and our sign was for the cheaper one, right? To get them to pull in. And then as they, as they were looking and everything, and, and I was like, yeah, you know, the full pack, that is probably our best value because it has more in this bag than this bag. And then I said, oh, well, this one here, I do special, I put extra in these, these big ones. I just, I pile them in. There's some, Absolutely good. And so I tried to upsell them. And that was something that, that Emil taught me is to, to always try to upsell. Once you, you get them one with the low price, the, the signs, and then you upsell them. And so some of, some of the things I learned at, at 14 or 15 years old. That's really neat. That's really neat. You know, one thing that you're talking about is upsells. And we talk about that in our business today. And, you know, I've heard people say like, there's really no new business strategy. You're just kind of like rehashing strategies of the past. And yeah, upsells. I mean, it, it certainly exists in a different form, but it's it's true to form, right? You're doing the same thing. And so that's really neat. That That's really neat. So my first job, very similar to you, was in agriculture. So uh, when I was 10 years old, uh, my family moved out to a, a small acreage on the outside of town. And I had a corn patch. And the first year is fairly small. I mostly just sold to my neighbors and, uh, it was maybe like 10 rows of corn and, but it was great. It, it was awesome. And the next year it got a little bit bigger and a little bit bigger and it grew into a decent size enterprise, uh, to where we were selling like a couple thousand dozen of corn every summer. Nice. And it was in terms of like, entrepreneurial ventures, this lit the flame that has stayed with me my entire life. I absolutely loved it. And we would, so kind of how a typical day would go is we'd go out and we'd pick corn and then we'd put it in these big coolers and we had a coffee can and it was on the honor system. So people would just come by, 
they'd put $3 in the can and take their dozen corn home. And, you know, around four or five, I would go down there and help people husk their corn. And it was great. It was great. My dad helped me out with it. And in terms of like some of the best memories I have with my dad, it's in that this corn patch. And so after being in this a couple of years, we expanded into pumpkins. And, you know, there was an article written, not to brag, but there's an article written about me called the Pumpkin Patch Kid in our local newspaper when I was in eighth grade. And that made me feel like the biggest businessman in town. It was incredible. And it was something that I was really proud of and it was unique and you know, it was different from what my friends were doing. And so, you know, one lesson I learned from this is, and I learned it very early in life, is there are more ways to earn an income other than a nine to five. And so, you know, a typical day in thinking back on this, you know, my dad was had a full-time job. He would wake up extra early with me. We'd go start picking corn at like 5 a.m. And from like 5 to 7 a.m., we'd pick corn. Then really my day was done for the most part. And I'd go to the pool or hang out and, you know, people would come throughout the day and put their money in this honor system jar. And I'd go down there throughout the day and kind of empty my jar just in case. And it was awesome. It, It was awesome. And so, you know, that very early on, I learned there's alternatives to the nine to five. You know, another one is when we got into pumpkins, typically me and all my brothers would go out and pick pumpkins and put them on a trailer and pull the trailer up next to the roadside stand. And I remember one time I was down there and a lady pointed to a pumpkin that we hadn't picked. And it was ugly. It was like, it wasn't a nice circle. It was like oblong and it was just (laughs) ugly. Yeah. And she said, I'd like that pumpkin. And she said, I'd like to go pick it. And I said, let's, yeah, go, go for it. And what we learned was that people like picking their own pumpkins. From an input, we spent significantly less time not even picking the pumpkins. We would let people go out and pick their own pumpkins and pay the same price for the experience. (laughs) And you see this with like Christmas trees where people will go and they'll cut down their own Christmas tree. That guy who's running that farm, the Christmas tree farm, that's a smart business decision. And so, you know, the lesson here is, uh, you know, thinking creatively can earn you more profit. And in this was a good example of that where we would let people pick, you know, join our labor force for free and <laughs> pick their own pumpkins. And, and so, and the third lesson I learned from this is investing in technology has in tremendous benefits. So the first three years that we did this, I had a walk behind corn planter. And that would be where you kind of take like a fistful of seeds and fill up this little jar and you push it. You're planting one row at a time. And what would happen, and I maybe am a little OCD about it. I like straight lines. When I mow the lawn, I like my lines to be straight. And uh, and same thing with corn. And what would happen was I'd, I'd start to drift a little bit with this walk behind planter. And I, I must have gotten this from my dad because my dad also likes very nice crisp lines. Hmm. And so, you know, after a couple years for my birthday, I got a four row corn planter and we pull that behind our tractor. So now instead of planting a fistful of seeds at a time, we were planting 50 pound bags. And nice. if you were to track our revenue, the year that we had the four row planter, we planted three or four times more corn And that investment in technology, just being a, a pull behind planter had a tremendous benefits. And so I, this is looking back one of my favorite times in my life and just a, an incredible experience. And, and uh, with my two sons, I've already been joking with my dad that I'm scouting a good spot to grow pumpkins because it just, it, it taught me lessons really early in life that, 
you wouldn't get any anywhere else. And so, so anyway, yeah. that, that was my, my foray into the workforce and some of those lessons I'm, I'm still using today. Yeah, absolutely. I would say, I mean, there's a lot of lessons packed into that one and I would, and, and definitely, yeah, I can see that today, the, the way, you know, the way you're thinking about t- adding technology and different machinery and stuff. And so that's really cool. And, and now, you know, connecting the dots of where that came from. So as well as, you know, it's, I think it's good to, grow your own food and, and know where it's coming from. I'm sure customers. Awesome. So moving along, my next one, see what I got here. Okay. So the, the summer after the peach stand sales were over, cause those were very seasonal, got a job with someone told me, Hey, this, this company here needs, uh, laborers, helpers. And there's no, you know, you don't have to be, there's no age requirement or anything. And so I went to work for, I'm not going to say the name of it, but it was an asphalt company in the town that I grew up in. And it was family owned and family ran. And so, you know, my job was to basically do all the shit jobs that nobody else wanted to do, right? And so they hired me up. I came in, I was, you know, 15 strong, had tons of energy. I'm like, yeah, what? And I I was very naive. I didn't know what I didn't know. And they're like, yeah, pick up this uh, 20 pound tamper. And, uh, and so we would do, that company did mostly residential driveways and garage, you know, residential driveways was kind of their sweet spot. They also did parking lots. And so those were kind of the things that, that we would do. And so I had this like 15 pound tamper that I had to take and go in. And uh, when they do the asphalt on a driveway, you have to tamp it in, meaning tamping like, um, just imagine a heavy plate attached to a, like a broomstick. And you just, you know, you just um, kind of punch it into the asphalt to like compact it down. And so over time, it doesn't, you know, spread out. And so I did that. I cleaned up the tools, cleaned all the tools. Uh, like I said, all, all of the, all of the shit jobs. And, you know, this was, <laughs> I don't know if, if you've never done asphalt, the way they do asphalt is it's extremely hot. And so it's pliable and so you can work with it. And so, you know, being close to the, and, and this was in the summer, right? And it's already 80, 90 degrees out. And so being next to that asphalt that I, I just remember like, don't want to, like, I don't want to do this for very long. This is fine. They were paying me cash too. At the time, it was probably like 10 bucks an hour, like probably double or triple what I was making selling the peaches. And so, but at the safety, there was no, <laughs> there was no safety policies. There was no, I mean, I, I literally came home every day, literally like asphalt stuck all over me and my hair. You know, I was sunburnt, uh, heat burnt, shoes were trashed. I mean, it was very dirty and it was just a really bad environment. And so it made me think like, the people that I work with, there were some people in their, you know, twenties, thirties. I'm like, I am not going to, you know, this is a very, very hard job and I don't want to do this. And that was one of probably one of the top lessons that I, that I took out of that. Another one was this was ran by, and this is something that sticks with me today. This was a family business. And so <laughs> I've got a story about the, the dad ran the business and he had two sons and then there was a foreman. And then a couple of laborers like me. And so every, you know, on the job, normally in the mornings, normally one of the brothers would be late and he'd show up to the job site. And then the dad's yelling at him, where are you? You're worthless, you know, whatever. And so it always started out like that. And then throughout the day, there were certain jobs where the brothers would want, they would compete for like the grader where it grades out the gravel or the steamroller or doing nothing, whatever it was. And so there's always tension. We had one. Where, uh, the, the, one of the sons and the dad got into a fight, literally a shoving match, and the son walked off the job site. And so there, and, and he was the only one that knew how to run the grader. And so 
the dad's like, you know what? I don't need him. And so he hops on the grader and starts running it. And we were working on it. We were doing a driveway for, it was actually a friend of mine's house. He was on the baseball team that I played on. And um, he had a three-car garage and they had the garage open. And the dad of the company, he ran the grader and he couldn't, he didn't know how to stop it. And so the grader ran through the garage and took out the divider in the garage and the whole roof of the house leveled in. And we heard, I was just sitting like, what just happened? And so at that point on, I'm like, family and business, I, I don't think it's a really good idea. I think you should rethink it or, or put some very strong policies in place to like prevent that kind of stuff because it was not ran properly with processes and, and, and it was just, it didn't go well. Uh, something else, I, I learned how to drive a truck with a trailer and a steamroller at 15. I, you know, again, I'm not going to say the names of anything, but, you know, there were times where it was actually the day that the son left. The dad said, Hey, I need you to drive this truck back, back to the thing. And, and it had in here. And I don't know how big that steamroller was, but I had to load the steamroller onto the trailer and then drive that to the business. And so it was kind of, you know, and one of those things where it puts you in an uncomfortable situation, but you just have to learn it and figure it out. Like said, Hey, can you do that? Oh yeah, I can do that. Let me figure it out. And so, and the other thing also that a couple of things, one, the equipment that they had was not maintained well. And so what happened was after the fact, I found out that the actual, the real brake was broken on the grader. And so the son always tried to put it in and the son used forward and reverse to control it. The dad did not know that the dad, the son told the dad, Hey, the grader's brake is broken. Can we fix it? And he's like, no, we don't have the money. And so that's why he would do that. And so a lot of the equipment that we worked with was, it, it wasn't maintained properly. And that's a liability to a company. And so that's really like, I'm always kind of like, well, there's little things you can do to maintain equipment, whether it's your laptop or whether it's a steamroller, you should be doing those maintenance to decrease liability and exposure to the company. So. A lot of, a lot of fun times. I, I did that job for about two months that summer and, uh, it taught me a, a lot of lessons where I know I did not want to do, um, asphalt long term. Uh, so very cool. Very cool. It sounds like a, one of those jobs that builds character. And yeah, I've got a couple on the sheet that would not want to go through it again, but glad I did. Right. It's, it's good to know. That you will not die if you're out in the sun all day long. Right. You may just feel like it. <laughs> yeah. So, well, well, very neat. Sorry to interrupt the episode. You may have heard Ken and I talking recently about a new tool that we're using for Amazon refunds. Now, I have used other refund tools like this. However, I can tell you in the first seven days, they scrubbed the back end of my Amazon account going back 18 months and found $5,000 of refunds. And the nice thing about this is, it's my money. Amazon made a mistake, and they are just auditing my account. The other thing I really like about this tool is there is no monthly fee. They only charge a commission if they are successful in getting you your money. Go to getida.com, G-E-T-I-D-A, and enter promo code FTM for firing the man, FTM400. This is an awesome tool. Can't say enough good things about it. Now, back to the episode. So my next job started when I was 14 years old, and uh, it was power washing pig barns. And so a little bit of background here. When you're 14 in Iowa, you can get a moped, and you can drive that moped anywhere. And so that was when I you know, could branch out from the corn patch and work somewhere else. And so 
you know, a typical pig barn is going to be 340 feet long and it will hold about 4,400 pigs. So big, very, very big building. That's a lot of bacon. It is. It is. And, you know, these, they, the pigs would come in as piglets and then they'd leave around 250 or 300 pounds. And I have heard people say like, it is a good idea. It would be a good idea for everybody to spend a couple years in the military when they're 18. It'd help you mature. I would also say that I think everybody should spend some time on a farm because it is, you know, talk about the backbone of America. It is awesome. I mean, that's where all of our food comes from, right? We, and you know, I I see it a lot in my generation where I've heard the term factory farming thrown around and I can tell you, I witnessed this firsthand. No one cares more about those pigs than the farmer. Like it is in their long-term best interest to put out the healthiest, best product possible. And so, and that kind of gets into my job was helping to create an environment that would foster a really healthy pig. So I would go in and I would power wash. And typically after the, all the pigs would leave, these barns were pretty dirty. And uh, I had a, a big industrial power washer and I would clean the, the ceiling, all of the railings, the feeders. You know, one of my, this is one of the things you do when you, you tip the feeders up, there'd be about 50 mice underneath and you try to, <laughs> you try to get them with the power washer. And, and so, and it would typically take four or five days to clean this from start to finish. And, you know, a couple things that I learned about this, um, one was like understanding downstream implications. And the farmer that I work for, he told me, you know, your job's really important because disease is an issue and we need to give these pigs a really clean place to live. And so while it may not have seemed like a big deal to skip over a part or not clean the bottom of a feeder, that could lead to a disease that may wipe out 4,400 pigs. And, you know, we see this a lot in our business where, you know, something can occur in step one that affects step 10. And so the farmer's really good about, you know, explaining like, it may not seem like it, but what you're doing here sets up step two, step three, step four, as we, as we raise these healthy hogs. And so that was, that was a really, really cool lesson. You know, the other thing that I, I learned during this was that I personally consume information really well through listening to it. So I had a Walkman and I'd go to the public library and I'd get book on tapes. And, you know, I've always kind of admired people that sit down and read a book in a day. I'm not that guy. I don't know if I have too much energy or whatever. I can't sit still, but I really, but I really like listening to things. And so while I was working, you know, I'd spend probably 10 hours over there power washing. No one was around and I would listen to book on tapes and I could mow down an entire book in a day and learn something or listen to a cool story. And I remember, you remember the old uh, CD players, they'd skip really bad. Yeah. So I would take Ace Wrap and I would Ace Wrap it to my stomach (laughs) so it wouldn't skip. And, but I, I mean, I probably listened to 50 books that summer and I just made me realize that you can get the same information in a different way and and it's through audio. And uh, so I had headphones in con- all day long, 10 hours a day, and uh, listened to a lot of like the Bob and Tom show. You remember that? Yeah. And I don't know. It was it was awesome. And then the the last thing is, the last lesson is, and this is something that came from my grandpa, but was really hammered home during this, is it doesn't matter what you do for a living as long as you do it to the best of your ability. And that's something that you can hang your hat on and be proud of. 
And I remember I tried, I mean, when I was power washing, I tried to make these barns spotless. Like I tried my absolute best. And when I was done, because I had been working on my own, I wanted to show somebody. And so I'd call my dad and be like, come and look at this. I'd call like the farmer, like, hey, come and look at this. And I was very proud of this barn that was, you know, as big as a football field that I cleaned by myself. And, and so it, it just, you know, some people may look at that and say like, it's not the most glamorous job, but I found great pride in that. And, and so that's something that I have taken with me th- throughout life is it, it may not be glamorous, but like if you're doing your best, you can hang your hat on it. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Yeah, I like that. That and that, yeah, that translates to almost anything that you're doing, whether it's you know power washing a pig barn or you know creating anything that that translates over. So, really cool. Curious, how long does it? How long did it take from the piglets to the big pigs? You know, I would say it was around a year. You know, th- this particular operation had a lot of barns and I would come in and power wash. And so I didn't necessarily get to see the full life cycle of it. I wish I could have stuck around for a couple more seasons to do it. But uh yeah, I would say like a, around a year. Okay. So it sounds like that's a reoccurring service job then. Oh yeah. So yeah, oh, yeah. you just have to find more pig farmers. That's awesome. Well, cool. Um Actually, the next job that I'm going to cover is a service job also. This one's kind of funny. So this was grass cutting business. That uh, a, uh, a friend of mine that I just met, and we started, uh, it was summer when I was 17. And so we were kind of sitting around. I just moved, and so I didn't have a job. And so we were kind of sitting around at the park. We're like, yeah, you know, you know, how are we going to get a job or whatever? And he had a car, and, uh, and he's like, well, you know, I just saw two push mowers, you know, for sale up the street. I think there was like, I don't know, super cheap, like 15 bucks or something. Someone just wanting to get rid of them. So we scraped together some money, bought these two push mowers, and he had a, I think it was a, I think it was a Buick. It was a, a two door car, one of the huge boat, probably like a 1970s or 1980s. And he had taken a circular saw. He wanted a convertible and he couldn't afford a convertible, couldn't find it. He had literally taken a circular saw and he had cut the top off of this car. And so it was a convertible that was not a convertible. And, and it had a, he, I think it, it was either like duct tape. There was something on there to like protect it. And so anyway, um, one of the lessons learned out of this business was like, we were extremely lean. We bought two push mowers for 15 bucks and we used a cutoff Buick for the transportation. And so we had these uh, lawn mowers. We each had our own lawn mower and you could, we would pick them up and set them in the backseat of this Buick. That was it. That, and then we would drive around and so, a couple of things about this one is that anybody sees me on YouTube or anybody seen the picture of me, I'm a ginger. And so being outside working was not a, you know, I, f- I found out this because we would work 10 and 12 hour days on this job. To, and this is kind of a job, the more it was service based. So the more lawns you cut, the more money you made. It wasn't by hour. It was by how many jobs you could get done. And so 
I was ultra aggressive. I had tons of energy. I'm like, I got a ton of time. Let me just go and do this. And so I had some pretty bad sunburns that, that summer. So I learned that lesson, like, I, I can't work outside, like, two to my health, whatever, not, not a good idea for me. Something else I learned, too, was that on this type of business, I really, it started to click in me about scaling up. And so all my other previous jobs was like, hey, do, uh, work this amount of hours, and we're going to pay you this amount of money. Whereas this one was the first time that I could really scale up the money I earned by harder I worked. And so I would, I, we would hit it hard. And my friend, my business partner at the time, he was super aggressive like me. He's like, I want to earn as much as I can, you know, to pay for his, his convertible. And so we would knock on doors, marketing. A couple of things that I, that I learned on this job was closing sales. And so I, I am, um, an introvert by nature. So I don't, I don't like usually talking to people that much. However, when I'm on a mission, there's really no roadblocks that's going to stop me. And so I'm banging on doors. You know, if anybody's out in their yard, if their yard, we targeted, uh, and we did this very specific targeting where we would go into a neighborhood where uh, it was maybe a little bit older, the, the yards were taller, and we would just scatter and, and scout. Someone's out in the yard. One of the closing things I would say would is like, Hey, you know, you need your yard cut. We, you know, and we would low bid it and say, you know, we'll have it done in 30 minutes. It'll be done. You don't have to worry about it. And I learned all these kind of these sales tactics, you know, we'll get it done now. You don't have to do it. You know, we can come back. We've do And so I, I learned how to close. And so I got pretty decent at it. And I mean, we at, by the end of the summer, we had more yards, repetitive yards to cut than what we had time for. And so it was a really interesting, I saw how it would scale. And then I, and then I really, it unlocked like, okay, in order to scale that, I would need to, we would need to get someone else on the team or hire someone. So it was, uh, operating lean and on a budget is what I learned. I learned I didn't want to work outside long term and, and how to, how to close deals and, and kind of this, the marketing and sales tactics. So that was, uh, it was an exciting job. Very cool. And how old were you when you were doing this? I was 17. 17. Okay. That's awesome. That's that's awesome. So that was was that your I guess first foray into self employment? Yeah, it was actually. Awesome. That was you had fired the man. I I, <laughs> I had fired the man, that's right. Awesome. Awesome. So the next work experience I'd like to talk about was working at a medical store. And this to kind of set the scene, uh my dad is a cardiologist and he had heard from a ton of patients about this medical store and this guy named Jim and how Jim was the best, like always took care of him. And he just, he like kept hearing these stories about this guy named Jim. And one day he said, listen, we're going to get in the car. We're going to go for a drive. We're going to go meet this Jim. And, and, and so we stopped out there. And I mean, when, when I talk about like stories, like hundreds of stories, like hundreds of people had told my dad about this guy named Jim. And, uh, we went out there and, uh, met a guy by the name of Jim Nolan, who was probably my first mentor. After meeting him and seeing how he ran his business, uh, he ended up giving me a position there. And I worked there for the next six summers and learned more about business than I probably did in college, to be totally honest. And so it was, we sold CPAP machines, lift chairs, wheelchairs, walkers, breast pumps, all kinds of stuff. And, and Jim was in terms of like running the business, he just, he had a very old school approach. One of them was his marketing. His marketing was treating his customers really, really, really well. And 
from my dad's perspective, he knew when he sent people to hell get medical to deal with Jim, they would be in really good hands. That made him good look good, right? And so he didn't advertise anywhere. He may have had a Yellow Pages ad, but that was it. His his marketing was just treat people really, really, really good. And I, I think that that's something that was an initial lesson for me was obsessing over the customer and treating them really, really well. And things will come back to you. And so, you know, one of the things I remember him doing was he would, when someone came in to get a walker, he would send it home with them and he wouldn't take their name. He wouldn't take a deposit. He'd just send them home with it and say, take it through your house and make sure it fits through all your doorways. Take it home for the weekend. And if you like it, you can come back and pay for it. And if you don't, just bring it back. And people were shocked that like that level of trust (laughs) But people, like, he never got ripped off. And people appreciated that, like, oh, he's not going to sell me a walker that doesn't fit through my doorways. And so that was just an example of, like, really, really good customer service. Another lesson I learned was self-employment is a grind, and it doesn't end at 5 p.m. And I think we experienced this in our business. Jim was, he worked very hard. And that was cool for me to see. I mean, working Saturdays, Sundays, coming in early, staying late. It made me realize the contrast between, yes, you can have control of your time, but you really get to pick which 60 hours you work. Uh, and, and, it's, and it's not, you know, self-employment isn't for the faint of heart. Like, it's very challenging. And I saw that firsthand with him. Was he worked very, very hard. And, you know, the last lesson I, I learned here amongst so many more but was that selling an incredibly high quality product makes your life easier. And I remember a specific day where a rep came in. I'm not going to call out the company because I'm sure it's still in business, but their price on wheelchairs, walkers, everything was about half that of what we were paying. And the salesman talked about, you know, these are the most profitable. From your standpoint, these are the most profitable on the market. And I remember talking to Jim and saying, like, Jim, this seems like a no-brainer. You know, we're paying $100 for a wheelchair, turning around and selling it for $200. Why don't we buy one for $50 and sell it for $200? And what he said, and, and I, I still see this today in my business, is, boy, does selling a lower quality product cause headaches downstream. And, you know, in terms of like service calls or disappointed customers, in that there really is value in selling something that's really high quality. And it's something that you can hang your hat on and feel good about. And, you know, I would say, Ken, in our, our businesses, that's something that we try to do is sell really high quality products because it just makes everything easier, right? You get more reviews, you get more repeat customers. Everyone likes to buy something that's very high quality. And it seems like a no brainer, but that was my first, you know, as being someone who's kind of obsessed with profitability, that was a, a good lesson to kind of learn is that like long-term profitability is more important than than short-term profitability. So yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Thanks everyone for tuning in this week. Ken and I are having an absolute blast recapping some of the jobs of our past. Stay tuned next week for a few more jobs that we have worked and glean lessons from as we work on our own businesses. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to today's Firing the Man podcast. If you like this episode, head on over to firingtheman.com and check out our resource library for exclusive Firing the Man discounts on popular e-commerce subscription services. That is firingtheman.com backslash resource. You can also find a comprehensive library of over 50 books that Ken and I have read in 
the last few years that have made a meaningful impact on our business. For that, head on over to www.firingtheman.com slash library. Lastly, check us out on social media at Firing the Man and on YouTube at Firing the Man for exclusive content. This is David Schomer and Ken Wilson. We're out. Before you go, we wanted to share a new service that Ken and I have been using called Getita that has made us over $10,000 in Amazon reimbursements. The service requires no monthly subscription and Getita collects a small percentage of the money they recover for you. It takes less than five minutes to set up and works on all Amazon marketplaces. Go to getita.com, G-E-T-I-D-A dot com and enter promo code FTM400. That's FTM for Firing the Man 400 to get your first $400 in reimbursements commission free. How much money does Amazon owe you?